Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Galen. I'm joined this week by our lecturer in philosophy, Dr. Benjamin Smith. And today our topic is going to be Hegel and freedom. We're going we're gonna, to uh, trace back to one of our previous episodes on Hegel. Uh, and talk about the where we talked about the importance of his thought, but also this week we really want to get into his idea uh, of freedom. But before we do mm-hmm. so, I want to invite all our listeners, please hit that subscribe button, share this content, share this info, send it out to your friends and family. It helps us a lot. And we've been noticed, we've noticed lately uh, a few of our episodes have been um, toggled down a little bit uh, because of the topics that we've covered. Uh, and in our opinion, they're not all that controversial, but apparently, <laughs> apparently they are for the algorithms. Uh, so help us out a lot. Hit the subscribe button, hit the uh, like button, and please share this uh, content. And as always, check out all of our uh, full courses over at catholicstudiesacademy.com, where you can uh, purchase the courses outright, or you can be become a subscription member, and you'll have access every month, you'll have access to uh, the courses, and you can take all sorts of courses in philosophy and theology from a faithful Catholic perspective. All right, Dr. Smith, um, let's get into this uh, this idea of Hegel and freedom. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if you go back into some a lot of our podcasts, we've covered freedom from sure. all different sorts of angles. <laughs> That's right. It seems to be a, a fun topic of ours that we we enjoy talking about. Uh, and I know this episode will be uh, no different. So, um, but to build on what we've already covered, mm-hmm. um, maybe take us back because we we talked about uh, in a previous episode we talked about the importance of Hegel's thought. That sure. m- many people may not know him like they do Kant or something like that, sure. but Hegel has had just an enormous impression on our modern culture, society, and modern uh, kind of uh, our operating philosophy right now in society. Uh, sure. So maybe give us a, a quick a quick review, and then we'll hop into the topic of freedom. Yes. Yeah, so uh, in, in that previous episode, uh, which we'll link to, um, yep. we talked about sort of the uh, his importance uh, in sort of history, uh, but which which really kind of primarily revolves around the fact that he's probably the first modern philosopher uh, to seriously develop a theory of, or a philosophy of history, right? That is, mm-hmm. he is interested in the nature of history and understanding history and especially the way that history impacts uh, reason and the way we think uh, to, you know, in our modern setting, that's the way it seems very obvious. Well, of course, history impacts the way that you think, but really the, the truth is, you know, if you, if you look at, Really, most most philosophers have had the what? Yeah, they might have. They wouldn't necessarily have disagreed with that statement if you brought it to them. Mm-hmm. I think, but in truth, they just didn't bring it up. You know, like that much. Yeah. Like the idea that that reason changes over time, right? Yeah. Is a a, a Galian thesis, right? So he thinks, look, it's good that you know, like somebody like Aristotle looks at experience or David Hume or, you know, you know, any sort of empiricist looks at experience. But one of the things that, that, you know, he would say that philosophers have left out is they've left out um, the experience of history, right? That is like the, the, the experience changes over time. Right. Right. And what he says uh, is that, you know, if, when we look at history, 
is that we find that Geist itself, that is our awareness of ourselves and the world around us, changes radically with the historical paradigm in which we operate. Yeah. Now, interestingly, I want to add this, you know, that, you know, so the idea that consciousness changes over times, right? Mm -hmm. Over time or time frames, that's something that a lot of us, a lot of modern people would accept. Um, but it's important to note, like Hegel didn't take that in a radically skeptical direction. Yeah. Very often in contemporary discussions that goes in a, in a skeptical direction or a postmodern direction, you know. Um, but Hegel doesn't. He thinks that each historical epoch is, in fact, uh, or in fact, uh, achieves a certain sort of real insight mm-hmm. and is, in fact, necessary. Right. So he sees it sort of as a building process. Right. So each yeah. step is necessary, but inadequate. Right. So it does. There is a real gain made when you pivot from Greek civilization or from Persian civilization to Greek civilization and then from Greek civilization to Roman civilization. Roman, yeah. The Greek civilization achieves something. Right. So he sees a pot like in that sense, he's positive. Right. He thinks the Greeks achieve something, uh, but he also thinks that their achievement was not needed to be superseded, right? So you kind of think, it, you know, maybe a, a parallel would be something like technological development. You know, sure, we, sure. we might say like, you know, steam power was a necessary stage in industrialization, right? Yeah. Um, but eventually it needed to be superseded, albeit we still use some steam power, but, you know, it needed to be superseded by by forms of uh, power that are more efficient, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is, yeah, this is just kind of the, the basic idea, and you can see kind of the building blocks here for kind of the progressive movement that sure. all of history is on this progressive. And so, you know, they'll say, you know, and communists picked this up as well. We've discussed this before, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, capitalism is a necessary stage That's towards, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, it's previous to socialism and then next comes mm-hmm. this beautiful communism. So mm-hmm. you, you, you could see this, um, uh, or the the idea we want you to have in your mind is kind of this this trajectory of That's going right. up where yes. Geist yes. Geist is progressing and in one in one day there will be this this fulfillment of history this perfection of history yeah that, and that fulfillment will ultimately uh, Hegel thinks consist in uh, the mind mm-hmm. fully understanding and appropriating to itself its own freedom right yeah. So Geist, right, means something like spirit, but a, more like spirit of the age than like a soul kind of spirit, right? Yeah. And uh, or it can also be translated mind, but it has mm-hmm. sort of those two things together. I like spirit's probably maybe a little bit better because it does kind of connect to it has more of a connotation of movement and, sure. and being in time. Um, so uh, but he thinks of mind, right? that mind is what makes us free, right? Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, the spirit is what makes us free and that the whole of history, mm-hmm. right? Then if you were going into the metaphysics, which we're not, but the, uh, the whole of reality really is um, the mind coming to fully understand and grasp and then actualize its own freedom, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about what that means. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, it, it, like I said, uh, we've uh, circled around this question of freedom quite a bit uh, in our different podcasts. It's, you know, it's 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 an important topic. Yeah. Um, and there's subtle differences, you know, um, between different versions of freedom. 
Hegel, uh, like any German thinker of his time, would be heavily indebted uh, to and influenced by, even if he's even if negatively influenced by, um, of course, Immanuel Kant. To Kant is a great figure of German philosophy who just sort of hangs over the whole project uh, for a very, very, very long time. Um, Hegel, uh, you know, sort of, in a way, basically accepts the the core Kantian idea of freedom, but then Mm -hmm. changes it. He calls that Kantian idea of freedom morality, Mm -hmm. right? And morality, in his view, is not, it's, it's a real achievement, just like, you know, again, this view, right? But at the same time, it's inadequate, right? We have right. to, we should move up to the moral, but then we have to go beyond the moral to what he calls the ethical, right? Right. And I've, I'll, I'll explain that as we go along. But we do need to first achieve the moral. So what's the moral? So this is basically a Kantian idea of freedom. So this is really interesting. If I were to ask you, Jason, is doing what you what you feel like doing are you what you want to do? Like, say you want a glass of beer, you go pour yourself a glass of beer and drink a glass of beer. Is that freedom? Uh, no, no. Okay, yeah. So, Kant, Kant by the or according to according to Kant, no, no. Kant, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, just acting on your desires, and this is kind of yeah. interesting. I mean, there's something I think. Like with a lot of philosophical ideas, there's something correct about this and sure. something incorrect, right? Um, acting on your desires or, or letting desires be your sole or primary influence yeah. on your decision making is not freedom. Yeah. In Kant's view, freedom consists in, um, we said several different things about this, but freedom consists in rational decision making basically or what he calls duty right right so doing your duty oddly enough maybe you're sounding us but um is freedom that is doing what is uh uh, rational is doing your duty now why is so if you're just acting on your desires right say you're attracted to a particular woman and on that basis you decide to to date her and then marry her um that's not being free why is that because your desires are not chosen, right? Yeah. Uh, which is so fascinating to me, right? The, the, yeah. the idea is that anything that's not chosen by you is not really free, including your desires, even your physiological desires, but then also your sort of cultural, uh, social, inherited desires, all those things, they're not really free. And so... To act so, on so, them is hey, not to really hey, be free. Mm-hmm. So you're saying if I get that glass of beer, it's yeah. not really my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, I'm, start, I'm starting to like. I'm starting to like Kant a little more. I like this. I like this. Yeah, yeah. So that the the idea that because you don't choose your desires, they're kind of impulses. Right. 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 That's a that's an outside force acting on you, encouraging you one way and not the, and not another. Therefore if you choose what you desire, mm-hmm. you are not free because of this outside force that's, that's acting on your, your intellect and your will. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, you need to choose. Um, how do you choose? Like, how do you, uh, how do you choose? How, do, how does that work? <laughs> how, does that work? Yeah. how do you say like, I, 
I, I choose this desire, but yeah. I so mean, you act according to the categorical imperative, right? So the categorical imperative tells you to only choose that which you could choose universally, right? Yeah. Um, another way of putting it is you only choose that which anyone would choose, yeah, uh, and choose consistently for all, right? So that's that that allow that that in Kant's mind is rational because mm -hmm. it's universal and consistent. Yeah. Right. Um, so you know, uh, I would only choose. You know, I can't choose theft or murder or lying because I can't choose that for all. I wouldn't choose it for all, and I can't choose it for all. Right. Right. Um, choose murder for all would include my own destruction and the destruction of everyone. Right. Um, so those are things that that are not rational to choose. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. In that sense yeah. of rational. Um, and so I should choose then the opposite to respect private property, to uh, respect innocent life, um, mm -hmm. to not lie, but rather be honest. Right. Those mm -hmm. sorts of things. Right. That's being free. Right. Um, so like say it, choosing a marriage partner, I, I, I shouldn't choose someone. I mean, it's some, it's some, again, this is not totally wrong. It's just yeah. kind of off. Right. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't choose a marriage partner just on the basis of attraction. Now I think mm -hmm. Kant would take it a little bit further. I shouldn't choose a, a, a marriage partner on the basis of attraction, right? <laughs> which is a little <laughs> bit stronger, right? That, yeah. you know, going from just to attraction, right? Why? Well, because, right, if you do so, right, you're not really free because your attractions are not really free, right? Yeah. You should choose a marriage partner that you would choose for anyone, right? That, you know, for universally, right? And so, you know, you come up with maybe a list of categories that don't relate to desire, but relate to marriage, right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's not... It's totally not wrong, wrong, but I I wouldn't put it that way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think what you want to say, the difference, say, from an Aristotelian perspective or Thomist uh, approach is to say, yes, you shouldn't choose only on the basis of desire or attraction, right? right? <laughs> but that attraction and desire is part of your decision making, right? And it yeah. shouldn't be ignored. And doing what you want to do, as long as it's in keeping with reason, is actually free, right? Again, as long as it's keeping yeah. with reason. yeah, yeah. But the, 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 I think there's a deep difference here in the sense of what you mean by reason, right? Kant yeah. narrows yeah. reason down to just consistent and universal, right? Yeah. That's part of reasoning, right? But for a Thomist, right, reason includes that it's ordered towards true the truth of being, right. right, of reality, right? And that that sort of fills and it gives a lot more sort of room and substance right than just yeah, reality choosing... yeah yeah like reality right yeah yeah <laughs> right you know um rather than than simply you know limiting it to <clears throat> being universal and consistent um so you know like we've like with a lot of philosophical ideas there's some truth to this right uh, yeah but it's 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 uh importantly off um so that's what what hegel considers the moral right the moral right which he thinks is, is good, is is decent uh, description of freedom, but it needs to be superseded and it needs to become the ethical, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, what the ethical brings in, and this is true of Hegel's sort of turn in mind in general, yeah. is it needs to bring in the social and the historical, right? 
Now, why is that the case? He thinks that mutual recognition of freedom between free agents is a necessary step in our own understanding of our own freedom, right? So think about this way, right? Like, how do you know you're really free, right? You know you're really free when something else that's free recognizes you as free, right? Mm. So you might be kind of going around with this idea, well, I'm kind of free. You know, yeah. this sounds maybe a little strange, but think about like in your own life where, especially, like it might sound a little strange in modern life where we have so much freedom, in a sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, we all think we're free and insist on our freedom in different ways. Um, but, you know, if you think about other historical periods, right, where you may be a serf or you may be a slave, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, 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 the freedom of your own mind may not be apparent. Or think about a different th- way of, of this. Let's say that you're a farmer and you're 10 years into, like you're a farmer in the 18th century and you're, you're behind that plow, right? And you're, the plow is being pulled and, you know, you're out there doing something you kind of don't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this feels like crap. It's hot. I'm tired. Yeah. Right. I don't want to keep doing this, but I have to do it. Yeah. Right. That's a different, you know, like, then, then you think about your own life. We, that, we all experience that, right. Yeah. Where we're yeah, doing yeah. things we don't want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're, and we're experiencing things we don't want to experience. Right. But you right? have to. Yeah. Yeah. Either you have to because of some other goal or because of some external factors. Sure. Right. You know, uh, like you might lose your job. Right. And you like, wait, I didn't want to lose my job. Right. You know, and then doesn't matter. You know, so, yeah. you know, we all experience that kind of limitation on our freedom. And that sure. might bring into your mind, well, am I really free? You know, yeah. uh, so um, does that make sense, Jason? Yeah. 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 And, and, and like you said, we've all had that experience where we were, we can do otherwise. Like it's possible for me yes. just to not go to work. Sure. But I have this outside, you know, uh, you know, I have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you've ever had a cubicle job or something like that, you've probably sure. had one of those days. If you've ever watched office space, right? <laughs> like that, that's kind of the basis of sure. office, space, you know? So right. that, that kind of experience, I think we all, we all understand. And yeah, you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, you know, am I free? You know, what is, mm-hmm. what is that freedom consist of? What are the elements right, to right. understanding freedom in the right way? Because, you know, I can do otherwise. So am I really free in doing this? So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of questions yeah, yeah pop up. Yeah, we bump questions. into constraints all the time, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, things that contradict our will, right? That contradict what we intend or desire or to choose, right? Yeah. If we could do otherwise. So con- uh, sorry, uh, Hegel thinks that, and this is especially true historically, but also true in the way that I was just talking about, uh, in terms of constraint, <laughs> that uh, really being free uh, requires or is only verified. We only come to a full consciousness yeah. of our own freedom when other free agents recognize us as free, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, 
I react to other human beings in a way that's different, right? To inanimate objects, right? Yes. You know, I don't expect inanimate objects to talk back to me, right? Mm -hmm. Or to think about me. I don't expect them to think at all, right? Uh, like my coffee cup, right? It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's inanimate. It's not free. It, it totally follows the laws of physics. The laws of physics pretty much determine everything about it. Maybe chemistry and so forth as well. Um, but that's not true necessarily with other human beings, right? With other human beings, I come to recognize, oh, they're aware of themselves. They, they're 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 free, right? And how do I know they're free? Because they do things I don't want them to do. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Children. Yeah, right. Like you recognize, wow, they're autonomous. You know, one, they're different from me. They're making different choices than I would make, and they're not following my will. Right. Mm -hmm. They're not controlled by me. They have a certain kind of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. I recognize that in them. Right. <clears throat> now, in recognizing their freedom, I'm in a sense verifying that freedom i'm giving right. them an external objective not subjective right not just inside my own mind but an external objective verification yes you are free right okay. uh, what well, an objective realization of the so to put it in Hegelian terms an objective realization of the freedom of the other right freedom of the other okay right Got and it. and then of course i want that for myself right mm-hmm and I need that for myself in order to be fully aware of my own freedom, to pass mm -hmm. from subjective awareness of my freedom to objective awareness of my freedom. And is this the, is this the movement then from morality to ethic, from the, that, the moral to the ethic? That's right. Yeah. The ethical, you know, yeah, we're almost there. The, the ethical is going to be when we mutually recognize each other's freedom, Okay. right? Uh, and and act accordingly. Mm, interesting. Right? Okay. Um, that's the ethical, right? Um, which brings in the political realm. But I think this this point about mutual recognition is really interesting, right? That is, yeah. in order to achieve freedom, it's necessary for there to be to, to fully achieve freedom. It's necessary uh, for there to be this mutual recognition of freedom by the other. That means that my freedom, in a sense, depends on you. Right. And depends yeah. on those around me, um, which is interesting from several points of view. But I, I think Hegel's got a little bit of a point here that we need to recognize, which is this. Let's say you thought, uh, Jason, that you were a uh, talented um, musician. Mm -hmm. Right. You've been working on playing your, you know, strumming your guitar. Did you ever have a time, Jason, where you, where you tried to learn to play the guitar? Uh, no, I was a drummer. Drummer, okay, okay, that's good. All right, so, so you're a so you think, okay, you know, I'm a drummer. I'm gonna be a rock star, right? Uh, I'm gonna, you know, be a drummer for Guns and Roses, Metallica. Damn, I'm showing my age, right? <laughs> I think I'm like... <laughs> the uh, um, so, but then you know, as you're, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm, I'm really great. You know, this is awesome. I'm so good at this, right? And then you see a real drummer. <laughs> well, then you bring somebody in besides yourself, yeah. right? And what you want is to hear that other person say, hey, Jason, you're a good drummer. Yeah. You know, I just had this experience. I have this experience with uh, one of my children from time to time. 
he'll ask me, oh, did I do that well? Yeah. Do you think I did a good job at that? Right? So, like, uh, my uh, yeah, youngest son, this is first year playing uh, football. So, he's, you know, he's always asking for this external verification of yeah. how he did. Isn't that interesting, right? And we all want that, I think, at some points, you know? They think about, um, sure, you know, like when you present an academic paper or something like like you want some external recognition, right? And if you don't get that external recognition, it's kind of disturbing and unpleasant, right? Well, and and it and it becomes you 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 do in some sense become, uh, you know, unsure of your own ability to judge re- sure. judge the reality of the situation. Like, well, I thought that was a good paper, but you know, I got torches it. and <laughs> torches and pitchforks. So, right. like, yeah, <laughs> and it, and, it, and it, so it does give you some sense of, oh, well, that was just merely my subjective judgment about it, right? Yeah, uh, whereas. Once you get, once you're recognized as free by another free agent, yeah. then uh, you're like, oh, my knowledge of myself uh, as free is now objective, not simply right. subjective, right? Yeah, and 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 you could see that, you know, if especially if it's somebody with some sort of expertise, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you, yeah, if you give a paper and there's like, you know, a thirty year professor yeah sure. and he says that was a good paper sure like that means something more than you know um my wife you know saying i don't know what you talked about but that sounded like a good paper you know like <laughs> sure uh, as, as much as you know like they're there it's not this 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 recognition doesn't seem to just be the subjective recognition from another person right there right. yeah and, and so like you said it brings in kind of this this objectivity to it Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. So I think Hegel's got a point about this. Um, Another sort of angle on this, another way of of thinking about it would be like, you know, like say you're having a really good, like a deep conversation with somebody that's, and it's kind of a personal conversation and they bring up an insight about you that you have never really thought about before. Right. You're like, Oh, like actually, like you can actually like from time to time you have one of those conversations and you really learn something about yourself from someone else, right? Yeah. Uh, which seems sort of strange. How would they know? Like, how would they know me better than me, right? Well, sometimes that happens. Maybe we have a blind spot. Maybe, you know, there's something sure. we haven't recognized. So I think uh, from a variety of angles, you can see, I think, the importance of what Hegel's getting at here yeah. uh, in terms of mutual recognition. That is that that we're only going to have an objective awareness of our freedom when it's recognized by others okay now that though presents a problem (laughs) yeah what's the problem here well the problem is uh the uh, you could call it the problem of the other right and the the, we begin so i have to back up it we begin to become aware of ourselves as free Mm -hmm. first by just becoming aware of ourselves and and the, the the first and most basic way in which we become aware of ourselves is aware of ourselves as agents of desire, right? Okay. I want such and such, right? Yeah. I want to have it. I want to control it. And I want to consume it, right? So I want that glass of beer. I'm going to pour that glass. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take, right? Like the, the, you know, the bottle of beer out of the fridge, pour it into the glass, and I'm going to 
consume it and I'm not going to share it and it's mine. <laughs> Got it? Yep. Yep. So we all have the desire to possess, right? And we and and we become very aware of this, especially when we don't get what we want. We come <laughs> to recognize, oh, yeah. I'm over here, and the thing that I want is over there, right? Yeah. And I and it is different than I because I can't get what I want. Yeah, right. I'm not in control of that thing, right? Um, it, it's uh, I think it's an interesting way to think about. It. And I mean, again, there's some some truth to this right that is that sure. we do have that experience right of wanting to possess something right uh maybe wanting to control something and not being able to do so right yeah um and in that moment recognize the distinction between the external the object and the subject that sort of thing right that that i'm over here and what i would have possessed is over there and they are two different things right yeah that helps me to recognize uh, myself as an agent <clears throat> and myself as free and as others is free. But the problem is if I start to think, well, Jason is one like I am, which is, which is free, but also desirous, mm -hmm. right? He wants to control and possess, right? Well, that's a threat to me because he might want to control and possess what I want to control and possess. Yeah right now <clears throat> hegel's not a marxist okay but you can kind of think like marx is, is a is somebody inspired by hegel he sure. takes it in a different direction but you can feel a little bit of that yeah i think in what we're talking about here in the problem of the other right yeah your freedom is actually a threat to my freedom right yeah and that inter I think that this is kind of it's kind of interesting, right? Way of putting it. What do you think about that? Well, I I think this is the case when you're when you're talking about a um, or when you're entering into the elements of like somebody developing a philosophy of history. Uh -huh. It doesn't just hit on metaphysics, or it doesn't sure. just hit on you know <laughs> epistemology. It hits on everything. That's right. So yeah. so when you're saying this, you're like, okay, you know, Phil, you know, just kind of thinking about it that sounds correct it's like okay now apply this economically so sure. you can yeah. see where marxism comes in. right, you know, right. apply that apply this to here so yeah so i mean i the, the the idea of the other and how it fits into uh not just your freedom but like like you said the the uh the moral you know mm -hmm. what do what you to do in this situation with the other yeah so one thing that has been done right yeah uh is uh mastery and slavery according to yeah. Hegel, right and that's it's really interesting i mean a big part of his work is called the master slave dialectic in which he talks about the idea of and it, it, we could be talking about literal slavery and mastery right but we could alter any time any sort of hierarchical power sure structure right and that that hierarchical power has been a way of dealing with this whether between people or between classes, or between mm -hmm. religions, or between nations, right? Uh, again, this explodes into a whole thing that we have today, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in, in a sense, though, it's undeniably true that this is part of history, right? Yeah. Mastery and slavery, hierarchical power, right, uh, is part of history. Um, you know, some people dominating others. Why? Because why? Because in the 
because in Tahago's mind, those others represent a threat to the master's freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the way to for the masters to ensure their freedom is to dominate the yeah. other. Right. Yeah. Um, and you can you can see like the most extreme example that we have today is the just the the fight over parents' rights with their children. Sure. Right. Yeah. Do parents have the rights to you know not allow their child to have you know uh, hor- growth hormones or hormone hormone <laughs> therapy? You know, yeah, some would yeah. say no. Like yeah. you, the parent is 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 restricting the freedom of the child. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the, that's a form you of can see those, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a, and you can also see why the why why communists have a, a problem with the nuclear family. Sure. Because it is hierarchical in that sure. way. So okay, so there's this there's this problem of the other. So how do we how does how does Hegel how do we how are we supposed to act in this yeah, situation yeah. with Hegel? So it's taken about two thousand years or so, Jason. Uh, <laughs> But we needed to move Geist. And again, there's a larger metaphysical picture that we haven't really touched on, but Geist, that is the human mind, has had to move through various stages, historic, through various historical epochs, in order to begin to work this problem out, right? Right. So let's say, um, let's say that you have a a difficult, um, let me give you an analogy. Say you have a really difficult marriage and you go to marriage counseling, right? And over over time, maybe it takes a couple of years, right? You have to work through a particular problem. Sure. And then over time, sort of come out on the other side with that problem having been sort of healed or or you know, at least you know, corrected in some measure, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Well, you know, so it took time. Right. It took yeah. discussion. It took <laughs> argument. It took reconceptualization, creativity. Maybe it took putting away old habits and adopting new habits. Mm-hmm. Right. That sort of thing. Right. Well, that's a, on a small scale what's had to happen in human history. Right. This problem of the other is the source of all social change. It's the source of international conflict. Mm-hmm. It's the source of culture and society. Interestingly, though, Hegel doesn't see that all as negative, right? Because he thinks each stage of history is a better realization, yeah, right, of um, our own freedom, right? So there is this sort of progress to it, as you said earlier. I put it this way: <clears throat> I would describe this to a students in introduction to philosophy class that it's it's history may zigzag like this, right? So there might be, you might go up in freedom and down in freedom, but the trajectory is always this way. Yeah. Right. So even if there are setbacks, those setbacks are offset by greater gains. Right. Right. So it's kind of like that, that old th- uh, saying like two steps forward, one step back. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you do have that one step back, but you're still making progress over time. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, if you, uh, so anyways, um, that he sees that this has worked out in history. And how it's worked out in history is the development of the modern rational state mm-hmm. is the solution to the problem of the other, right? And it's what allows us to move from the uh, moral, the merely moral, which is good, it's just inadequate, right. to the fully ethical, 
right? Which includes, right, this um, mutual recognition of freedom, right? And the state's important because if you think about the mutual recognition of freedom as necessary for the full objective realization of freedom, uh-huh. then, and then you also have the problem of the other, right? So you've got a paradox, right? Okay. Yeah. So our even my own object, objective freedom is only going to be realized in a situation where we overcome the problem of the other. And what that means is, is that my objective freedom is a social achievement. It's a cultural achievement. It's not something I can achieve on my own. It's something I can only achieve in dialogue, dialectic relationship with others, right? Yeah. So it's a freedom is not something we achieve individually. Objective freedom is something that we achieve together, right? It's a yeah. social achievement, right? What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, part yeah, part of me says, yeah, I can see that, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Like we as a society should not should not have um, systems of slavery, right? That's a that'll be that's a societal thing that we can set up and that's an achievement, right? We don't mm-hmm. have we don't, you know, currently in the United States, we don't have the form of slavery we had in the 1830s, 1850s, you know, mm. that's an achievement, right? So that sounds good. Um, but yeah, I think Hegel conceives us as more positive. I mean, yes, that, okay, but more positively, right? <clears throat> right, like yeah. your ability to go on vacation and drive your kids in a camper to a state park. You're like, hey, we want to go camping in a state park this weekend, yeah. right? Well, you didn't, you could not have brought about brought that about on your own, right? Yeah. There had to be roads, there had to be state parks, there had to be park rangers. There's all of these things that make yeah. you make it possible for you to choose that, right? Is the way Hegel thinks conceptualizes it, right? Um. <clears throat> So again, I want to say there's something that he's right about here. Uh, yeah. There is a sense in which, I mean, this is interesting because as a, he's a modern philosopher. Like he's kind of in the very end stage of what we consider modern philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. But he's pushing against a lot of earlier modern philosophy, right? Which was much more individualistic, you know, um, Think about people like Kant, Locke, Hegel, Rene Descartes, all those guys, much more individualistic in the way that they thought about things, right? Um, Hegel sort of pivoting to a more social view, right? Yeah. Which is one that, you know, from the 19th century going forward to our own time, with some exceptions, though, is is something that's, you know, uh, part of our discussion, right? It's a major shift right from the earlier modern folks who who tended to be much more individualistic like those enlightenment philosophes and so forth much more individualistic than than uh than hegel and if you think about older philosophy like aristotle right i mean he defines one of the definitions of uh a human being is that a human being is a political animal right that is um that that we only thrive and flourish within a, a decently ordered political community yeah, a, a problem though I could quickly see arising is this this you know what what does Hegel mean by like you know the kind of the because the rule here the standard is the rational that's right like yeah 
how how is that defined? I mean, yeah, because I mean, yeah. like right now, even in our society, I mean, there mm. seems, <laughs> I mean, to some people, we're we're being extremely rational and um, accommodating of people's autonomy, and on the other hand, right? Uh, I think most Catholics would just say, well, uh, it, it's hard to have a, a conversation these days because the rational has simply left the building. Yeah. Right. So sure. <laughs> where, how, who defines this, this rational uh, uh, state of mind or the rational Geist? Yeah. That's supposed, that's supposed to be our, mm. uh, uh, our guide. The state. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer, right? <laughs> uh, okay. And, and, yeah. and Hegel has kind of in mind the kind of uh, some version of Prussia, right? Um which eventually became the German Empire uh, early uh, under Bismarck. Um, uh, Hegel did, you know, receive, uh, I think I mentioned this last uh, podcast, Hegel received uh, a, like a medal, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. From uh, the last king of Prussia, who was also the first German emperor. Um, but uh, um, so, how do we overcome the problem of the other? We overcome the problem of the other by recognizing, by I recognize the other fully and the other recognizes me fully as free and rational, right? Mm -hmm. To ensure that that happens though, and to ensure that activity consistent with mutual recognition of freedom happens, right? We need something beyond individuals, right? Right. We need the state, which requires a government to unify the state, right? Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I recognize you; you recognize me. But there's we're we're still on this this even playing field. There, there. It seems that there mm. needs to be something that both of us have to recognize that's outside of both of our selves. That's right. right. Yep. And that's the, the state. state. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the state. Uh, what the state does for us. Uh, is that it ensures that if you st- ensures that that we're going to live, it makes a freedom objective, right? Yeah. Until in his view, right? This way he describes it: freedom becomes objective when the state imposes a system of mutual recognition and processes and activities that are in keeping with that mutual recognition, right? So you might decide one day, you're like, you know what, that Dr. Smith, he's he's a jerk. He can't control himself. Actually, he's kind of worthless. He's not really free, right? Um, and can't govern himself, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, and so you decide to do something, you know, um, inappropriate, right? Like kick me off Catholic Studies Academy or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, right. the, uh, <laughs> get rid of that guy. <laughs> um well, the state's going to come in there and make sure that you don't. Yeah. Right. The state is what's going to ensure mutual recognition and activities and processes in keeping with mutual recognition. Right. And the way it does that is by imposing rules that are universalizable. Yeah. And consistent. Yeah. Right. You see that? Right. And, yeah. and, and, and interestingly, Hegel's clear on this. It can't really be a democracy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because if it was a democracy, there would be factions. So it'd be inconsistency, not like, uh, you know, one side would try to get over the other side. 
right? Yeah, sure. And uh, impose its rules that are particular and based on, and then very often based on desires and all that. It has to be a, a state uh, basically of civil servants under a monarch or something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, who develop rules that are uh, universalizable and consistent and ensure mutual recognition um, and as say activities in keeping uh, with mutual recognition. Then, then, so in that conception, objective freedom, the highest realization of objective freedom is obedience to the rational state, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Texan in me is very angry right now. Yeah. <laughs> See, so this is really interesting. <clears throat> he would say, uh, uh, although in truth, right, you're, you're, if I remember correctly, you you're German in background. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what you're feeling there, Jason, uh, <laughs> he would call immature Anglo-Saxon freedom. He yeah. actually uses that phrase, right? Is that white privilege? Is that the beginning of white privilege? <laughs> no, he thinks German. No, not exactly. He thinks German mature. freedom is mature freedom, right? Uh, <laughs> those immature Englishmen, right? Uh, sure. Who have immature English freedom. So you think that doing what you want is freedom. Yeah. You're wrong. Right. I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Because you didn't choose your desires. Yeah. Right? And so that's why we need the state to come in and, and take people like you, right? Uh, and kind of straighten them out, right? Yeah. Or at least put them in a system that will keep them from doing what they want to do. So I, I thought, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, is there any place in, in Hegel's system for religion outside of just kind of um, moral inspiration? Yeah, actually, he really thinks that that his view is uh, completely in keeping with Christianity, and he's very specific Christianity, right? Uh, Interesting. And, and yeah. In particular, uh, you know, Protestant Lutheran Christianity. Um, the uh, um, he sees Christianity as a necessary stage in the development of sure. um, the consciousness of human freedom. Uh, particularly uh, in sort of the idea of sort of the universal dignity of all human beings, especially yeah. with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? Showing, you know, God's love for mankind, all that kind of thing. So he thinks that, that you know, um, I, I, I'm not sure that we would, certainly in his early, in his youth, he was pretty heterodox as a Lutheran. Yeah. Most of the things I've read about him is that by the time he hit middle age and later, he was, I would say, a fairly orthodox Lutheran. Uh, not, yeah. not, not maybe strictly orthodox, but but fairly. He certainly, so went, you know, certainly was a regular churchgoer at that time and supported the Lutheran yeah. Church and supported, uh, uh, like, publicly supported the Lutheran Church. You know. Oh wow! How did? I, who decides on this rational state? I mean, there, there somebody has to be in charge. Sure. Somebody, um, you know, is that the the philosopher king? Is that I mean, like, <laughs> how how does yeah. uh, how does how does that end of it work? So this famous statement, right? And uh, Hegel made it's, it's it says the state is God marching through history. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in his view, right, as he says, the rational is the actual and the actual is the rational. Geist has its own trajectory. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like this weird providentialist kind of view, right? Geist has its own trajectory. 
and Geist has yeah. has created the Prussian state, right? Yeah. Uh, over time, and that Prussian state, right, is uh, the Prussian state was one of the first states to have um, uh, a professional civil service, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, civil, uh, like you know. They actually would have uniforms in those days. Like they were, they were, they were tied. They had like little uniforms, right? Yeah, uh, so Star they were Trek, like yeah. servants of the state, <laughs> you know. And they very yeah. dutifully went to their, you know, clerk's office and clerked away, right? Um, and uh, you know, you had sort of something like a constitutional monarchy that was sure. with a with a monarch that was a Lutheran and well educated uh, and German. Um, and you had civil servants who were well-educated, Lutheran and German, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the, the civil service and the, the bureaucracy that it was, you know, um, provide, they're experts, Jason. That's sure. the way I think, yeah, they're yeah. experts, right? Yeah. Uh, and as civil servants, you know, they love the, the community. So there is a kind of a platonic philosopher king edge uh to this i think yeah uh, to some degree um or it could go the other way where it's kind of like an elitist (laughs) elitist rule where hegel just just doesn't think that's that's the way it's going right like that's not in keeping with the trajectory of history yes we may sadly fall back into something like that in time but overall we're moving in the right direction right right so yeah yeah all right, so uh, so it's a hopeful, so, it's a hopeful uh, philosophy, right? It, well, yeah, one thing that's yeah, interesting it, is, is, is he's not cynical, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing that's uh, the, another, just one last thing to add in here. I know we're getting close to the end, but um, is he is, for example, he's very critical of the French Revolution um, sure. because he saw the French Revolution as too radical, right? Mm-hmm. That is. You know, each stage of history has within it certain achievements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hegel thinks, and those achievements shouldn't be lightly thrown away or torn down overnight, right? Mm-hmm. They might need to be superseded, but they should yeah. be superseded in a rational way, right? Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. You... I, I remember, I remember seeing, I remember reading, you know, different even during uh, the rise of communism, mm-hmm. there was those that wanted revolution. And there were those that were more saying, well, it'll eventually get there because they had this Hegelian view of history. And so they were a little more passive and not not so much, uh, you know, um, we need to uh, uh, overthrow this now in order to Mm. speed up speed up Geist or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, To speed up the march of history. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, like, if you think about the French Revolution, you know, we get our terms right and left from the assembly where all of the people in the assembly wanted some change, right? Those on the right wanted a moderate kind of change. They wanted moderate reform. They didn't necessarily want to get rid of the monarchy, for example. That's what Mm -hmm. they, they wanted to maybe constitutionalize it, limit, you know, that kind of thing. But they didn't necessarily want to get rid of the monarchy. They they weren't necessarily anti-religious. Some of them were, but some of them weren't. They were on the right. They were the moderates, right? The men, the guys on the left were the Jacobins, right? They were like, let's cut anybody's head off. Let's change the calendar. <laughs> let's worship the goddess reason. Let's destroy the Catholic yeah. church. Let's get rid of the Catholic mass, right? That's a whole, right? Hegel would have rejected those guys, right? He would have thought yeah. the guys who were on the right 
with the correct like okay we're going to reform this right we're not going to destroy right uh the whole thing there right we're going to make it more rational more, mm-hmm. you know uh increase the freedom involved in it but we're not going to sort of sort of level everything right and so uh he does think that you need to part of the rational state is not being crazy rational uh, like you know yeah. like the person who wants to like overthrow everything so uh, there's a philosopher i don't particularly like named peter singer but he's a pretty good scholar of hegel yeah and he says it's kind of like uh, he has a, a good sort of metaphor he says it's kind of like if you have a urban planner who becomes a total dictator and destroys like it's like all of these streets are irrational all of these houses are <laughs> irrational right it just levels everything and puts everybody in you know skyscrapers because it's a more uh, efficient use of space yeah all the streets are at right angle right but there's certain goods right that he that 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 are lost in that hyper rationalization sure of urban planning right and that's kind of like a good metaphor for the french revolution that they, they threw too much away right okay. there, there were goods that were lost right by that and so a rational state right is going to be one that is uh sympathetic mm-hmm. to custom yeah right and that's kind of the conservative side of hegel right so he's he does kind of want the the prussian monarchy and and if, if he would have wanted the german empire to kind of move in a constitutional direction right but he wouldn't want to get rid of the monarch wouldn't want to get rid of uh the church those sorts of things right in fact he thinks that they're probably important elements um to uh the german state right yeah so uh you know i um i thought uh yeah so it's an interesting view of freedom it's a view of freedom interesting enough in which the highest objective realization of freedom is an obedience to the rational state. Yeah, yeah, you and know. you can see, yeah. I mean, I hope I, I hope our listeners can <laughs> can see you know some um, some parallels, right? Well, it's sure. not you know exactly uh, what we have now, but you can see. I think again, based on our previous discussion as well, the influence of Hegel, not just his uh, his understanding of history, but also this understanding of uh, of freedom kind of within that the the historical development of of progress of yeah of it's fascinating towards it. yeah. it's fascinating to me uh, of course this is in the background of what becomes the marxist view right sure. hegel's not a marxist uh, you know like i think hegel would have thought marx needs to be put in jail okay yeah um but the um but i have all i mean there's one of the things i've been interested in political philosophy over the years let me just wrap up with this is how is it that 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 left philosophies and social movements conceptualize them, themselves as a form of freedom right yeah uh you know because it's kind of confusing to me like I, I, like you're coercive and you're like you have this huge state mechanism yeah. That, you know, so how is that free and i think there is a way of accounting for it i don't necessarily agree with it of course but the like you know marx conceptualized what he was doing as promoting human freedom right um that that in 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 liberation from hierarchical power of you know class exploitation and capitalism right yeah man actually becomes free right that does take the dictatorship of the proletariat 
right? Um, but that is the the necessary stage. So again, if you can hear Hegel in the background, right? Yep. Moving yep. towards right uh, um, the uh, realm of absolute freedom. Um, again, Hegel is not a Marxist. I tend I tend to put Hegel kind of more on the right, sure, in political terms because he's a little more like he's you know pro religion, pro family, that kind of thing. He's for private property, etc. Um, so he's more on the right, but he does conceptualize freedom, right? Isn't doing what you want to do, yeah. <laughs> right? And and again, it's partially correct. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We don't we don't think we don't think freedom is license. No, no, right? yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not sure that we think of freedom as obedience to the state either. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so I mean, not necessarily. Anyways, right? But yeah. uh, anyway, so. Uh, interesting. I, again, I think probably the best way to think about his view on politics is what you said, Jason, or suggested. It's kind of like a modern version of the philosopher king. Sure. You know, like if you can get in, if you can think, okay, the state really is this rational, custom guided, universalizing, yeah. mutual recognition, ensuring, <laughs> you know, sort of form of organization uh yeah. that does secure all these goods for us then maybe you can think that you know see how that would all work um yeah you just have to ignore like fallen human nature <laughs> god history yeah <laughs> the good <laughs> yeah the every... facts. <laughs> all right dr smith uh good 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 discussion i hope uh, i hope our listeners have taken taken something away from this to understand you know the the the, the modern culture we live in to um, but also to to try to understand where the other is coming from sure. in this in this perspective you know um, uh, you know it's a good it's always a good uh, a good tactic for the for the Christian apologist out there to uh, to understand the side of the other to understand especially you know uh, we see uh, uh, Hegel and his influence on history becoming more and more uh, um, prevalent uh in our uh in our modern state uh, so i think you've given us a lot to um a lot to think about and i want to invite all our listeners please go check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com until next time god bless